0: This is Live from Ukraine, a conversation with Ukrainian voices taped live on Twitter Spaces. To join future audiences, follow me at Benjamin Wittes. From Lawfare and Goat Rodeo, you're listening to Live from Ukraine, a highly experimental podcast recorded on Twitter Spaces before a live audience featuring Ukrainian voices on the situation between Ukraine and Russia. I'm Benjamin Wittes, your occasional host, and our guest today is Alexander Sherba. Did I pronounce that correctly?
1: Absolutely. Perfect. Thank you. Uh, uh,
0: he is a longtime uh, Ukrainian diplomat, uh, has been, uh, according to his Twitter bio anyway, 26 years in the uh, uh, a foreign service of, of Ukraine, most recently until last year as ambassador uh, to Austria. And he is the author of Ukraine versus Darkness, Undiplomatic Thoughts. Uh, welcome to the show. And where are you joining us from today? You've been quite in motion of late.
1: Yes, yes, Benjamin. I have been in motion as of lately. Uh, today I'm, I'm in Kiev. Last uh, month uh, I was mostly in Washington. Uh, on business, uh, because after leaving diplomatic service uh, after 26 years, uh, I joined uh, uh, an energy corporation here I- in Ukraine, so I was on business outside Ukraine. Now it's, it's a very, very good feeling to be home.
0: Yeah, so uh, uh, before, we, before I ask you the question I ask all of my guests, I want to get a little bit of a sense of your background. Uh, 26 years as a Ukrainian diplomat, uh where have you served and in what capacities other than in austria as ambassador
1: well uh aside from various uh, positions uh, here in kiev in ukraine uh, which was mostly uh, had to do with you know writing stuff and uh, some strategies and speeches whatever uh, i spent uh, three and a half years uh, as a young diplomat in uh, germany in late 90s first in Bonn, then in Berlin, uh, uh, then uh, uh, in 2004-2008, uh, I was uh, congressional liaison at Ukrainian embassy in Washington. Uh, then I spent six years in different positions, uh, again, in Ukrainian government, and in late 2014, uh, I was appointed Ukrainian ambassador to Austria, which uh, where, where I stayed uh, till July last year. So it
0: must have been a very odd experience for you to have the full-scale invasion phase of the war begin so soon after you had left the diplomatic service of Ukraine.
1: Absolutely. It was uh, a very surreal experience uh, in every possible way, including that way, and quite frankly. Uh, If I knew the war uh, would be coming, uh, I would probably stay in diplomatic service. But uh, I I hope I'm uh, in my place now too and uh, doing good for my country. Uh, But yeah, when the war started, it was uh, absolutely horrifying experience on the one hand. On the other hand, I felt extremely foolish because till the last day, Uh, I I was one of those Ukrainians who didn't buy the idea of this war, uh, simply because uh, uh, I I was saying this would be. uh, Putin should understand that uh, it would be the most unpopular war in Russia's history. I was deeply convinced in that Uh, it would be a war between people who have relatives on the other side, who very often speak the same language, who uh, very often come from more or less the same cultural background. And I was completely wrong on all on all uh, fields on all those claims, so um, it was painful uh, to me emotionally, painful intellectually, and of course it's a it's an absolutely horrifying experience when you understand that there is someone out there, someone powerful who is not after you, uh, who is not only just trying to destroy destroy your people. Uh, Who's, he's trying to destroy your culture, your language, your country, whole reality. Um, and uh, thank God that uh, we Ukrainians uh, uh, overcame uh, this uh, feeling of war quite fast.
0: So I want to ask you about the perception that you just described of, of doubt on the part of, I think, a lot of Ukrainians that the invasion was going to happen. And, and I've detected over the last three months a certain mutual irritation among U.S. policymakers and Ukrainian uh, uh, policymakers on this score. And you see it a little bit in some of the uh, statements of President Zelensky, um, where, you know, from the Ukrainian perspective, the Americans announced very aggressively that this war was going to happen. And um, with a lot of precision. Uh, identified what was going to happen, but then were slow to uh, provide Ukraine with the support that uh, it needed. Um, uh, and from the U.S. perspective, Biden and the intelligence committee community were sort of shouting from the rooftops, hey, this is going to happen, and uh, had a, a lot of trouble getting uh, Europeans, although, uh, but Ukrainians as well, to believe them, and so um, as somebody who's you know navigated the Ukrainian-U.S. relationship from the Ukrainian side, how do you understand this? I, I guess I would just call it a sort of miscommunication in a very critical period. <sighs>
1: well it's just uh, first of all uh, people who are at war are irritable on principle in uh, uh, most of the time so our emotions are running very high don't be uh, uh, don't 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 don't, don't uh, think that uh, it's somehow directed against you oh no no I I, 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 yeah. I I
0: it's it's entirely understandable yeah. um, i i do think it's a a significant diplomatic miscommunication at a very fateful moment in time. And I'm, uh, I'm, I'm sort of interested in exploring it.
1: Yeah, and uh, it goes both ways. Uh, we Ukrainians say, yeah, we didn't buy the idea of the war, but we were saying to you, Americans, uh, if the war is coming, please give us uh, um, heavy artillery for instance or other weapons that we definitely will need uh, the war and the response was we don't want to accelerate and our answer was well if the war is coming definitely then uh what are you afraid of the the the, the um this this inflammation will happen anyway so um how i explain it's well on our part it's mostly Understanding that this war is not winnable for Putin, because this country doesn't want him. People, no matter Russian-speaking, Ukrainian-speaking, soft on Russia, hard on Russia, they all see Ukraine as their country. And what would be the point of this war? What would he be doing with these people, civilians or military, who uh, just don't want Russia here? And uh, once the war would come, it would be uh, even more so uh, the uh, uh, before the war. I see it Right now, before the war, uh, most Ukrainians disliked Putin, but uh, more than 50 percent still saw Russia as a, a brotherly country, brotherly people. Now people hate both Putin and Russia. So what's the. What's the uh, win for Putin uh, here? Um, we still thought that he would be rational. We still thought he would be this, you know, strategic genius, uh, and therefore people didn't buy uh, the, the idea of the war. People realized how stupid. How destructive to both Ukraine and Russia this war would be, but we misunderstood uh, this, this uh, simple statement uh, by Angela Merkel from 2014 after she tried to negotiate with Putin about you know possible annexation of Crimea in February and then um, in March and then uh, she just said uh, Putin lives in reality of his own and this simple phrase describes basically uh, the whole, you know, abyss uh, in which Putin exists and in which he unfortunately managed to drag his whole nation. Um, so that's that's how I describe. Uh, uh, so it's a very long answer to your very simple question, uh, why we distrusted or, or why we didn't buy the idea of this war in the beginning. So I, I, uh, I actually
0: think there's an important process point from this lesson, from this incident, right, which is... Uh, you know, one side was saying, this is going to happen, but had very little sense of, uh, at least at the military level, of what to do about it. The other side was saying, we don't believe that this is going to happen, um, but boy, if it is, you need to provide us with the relevant material. And it, 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 it seems to me that the, the process point from this is much closer diplomatic cooperation between the United States and Ukraine uh, going forward. And I guess my question is, how do you understand? Do you think that is now happening or or is the relationship still characterized to a certain degree by two sides talking past one another?
1: I think uh, we are definitely not talking past one another. I think what I see, first of all, in uh, people uh, like uh, Tony Blinken, in uh, representatives of uh, DOD, uh, in many, many uh, American diplomats. uh, Just we we are on the same page. And uh, this page is terrifying, but not hopeless. Uh, And uh, finally, finally, uh, we heard these words, uh, I think it was in April, when America first came to say You know what? Ukraine can win this war. And this was extremely extremely encouraging to to us. And uh, it was very true from the very beginning uh, when uh, President Zelensky uh, said, I don't need a right, I need weapon, I need ammo. Um, that was the beginning of the time when ukraine really could 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 win this war and we that's the, the sense in the society we are not definitely not losing maybe we are both sides are bogged down in this war but we are not losing and thank god americans understand this thank god many people in european union understand this and uh, most importantly i think um people in the West realize what an immense sacrifice, Ukrainian soldiers, Ukrainian army, but also Ukrainian civilians uh, uh, are uh, doing not only to win this war, they are basically protecting uh, Europe, protecting the world from further wars coming from Russia. So... Where were you uh,
0: on February 24th and what was your experience of the uh, opening phase of this, uh, of of, of the full-scale invasion?
1: Well, uh, in the night of February 23rd, a close friend of mine, a politician, called me and said, uh, tomorrow they're definitely uh, attacking. And my response was, what, again? Uh, They were (laughs) definitely attacking on uh, February 16th, then 20th, then 22nd, now 24th. And he says, well, this time it's for sure. And it will take them only three days to capture Kiev. That's also for sure. Everybody in the military does that. And um, next morning at 4 o'clock in the morning, or was it uh, 5, I am in my REM sleep all of a sudden. Uh, the telephone is ringing. My friends uh, are calling from Washington, D.C. and are saying, uh, you know what, uh, this insane guy uh, did it. He, he is sending troops from uh, all directions. Uh, and it was a scary moment. I went outside um, to look what was happening on the streets and people were running. Uh uh, uh men uh, i saw men with military uniforms uh, running uh, in their hands running somewhere definitely so to 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 join the army i saw uh, uh women with their kids running uh, somewhere uh, cars were you know filling so so basically the whole town was uh, almost uh, a jam uh, it, it was uh, an insane moment and at night and that, uh, the night of February 24th uh, it was uh, you know this uh, there the was in telegram channels uh, there was this information that Russian planes are coming to uh, be deployed to deploy their paratroopers in um, Hostomer, that's one uh, small airport in, in near Kiev and while while I'm reading this in telegram, I hear planes flying over Kiev downtown where where I'm at home. And that was another scary moment. And you go to bed and you don't know in which reality you will wake up tomorrow. And next morning I wake up and first thing I see is a small um, video shot by President Zelensky where he winks at us and says, hello, Ukrainians, how are you doing? We are going to fight. And from that moment, it was just, you know, a moment of, Immense power and immense um, self-belief uh, for at least for people like me. Um, uh, so that was that was an emotional roller coaster on February twenty fourth. I won't deny. Wow. Um,
0: so today, Kiev is pretty calm. But you know, you and I were communicating a few, uh, a number of days ago about doing this, uh, doing this uh, show. And you didn't know how easy it would be to get in or out of Kiev. And so we had to postpone the show because you weren't sure that you're going to get on a train. So give us a sense of what, uh, you know, you were in Washington a week ago or two weeks ago and then in Vienna and you're trying to get home. What does it take in order to, you know, go abroad and then come visit home, come back home?
1: Well, it is a small adventure, of course, with planes and with planes not flying over you know, Ukraine. So uh, I flew first to Vienna, where my family is now, uh, and then after spending a weekend with them, I flew. Uh, I, I drove to Bratislava near uh, Vienna. Uh, from Bratislava, uh, there is uh, there is this car service that takes you to Uzgorod that's on the other side, on Ukrainian territory, and from Uzgorod the train, night train to go to Kyiv. Actually, it was uh, easier than I imagined, uh, especially on the border. It used to be uh, flooded with people, now it's empty. So uh, if people uh, are on the border, it's mostly Ukrainians returning, but not uh, Ukrainians uh, leaving the country. And uh, when I arrived in Kyiv, what I saw was... uh, uh, most of the restaurants are, are, have reopened. Uh, uh, wonderful sunny day. People enjoy their time in parks. Uh, there are uh, not as many cars as usually because usually it's a car jam, it's a, it's a traffic jam in 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 Kiev. Uh, but much more cars than it was uh, in April and May. Uh, and it seems normal, some people are saying too normal, because uh, the country is at war, the country cannot uh, afford, you know, uh, feeling relaxed in this kind of situation. So, But this is how it looks now uh, in Kyiv. Yeah, so I want to
0: talk about the part of the country where the situation is decidedly not normal, which is to say yeah. uh, the east and the south. Um, I try to follow the military situation as closely as I can, uh, which is to say, uh, not. I, it's actually hard to follow it. You have this impression that the Ukrainian forces are making pretty, you know, some progress around uh, Kherson Oblast, um, but uh, in but that the Russians are making at least slow. Uh, uh, progress in, in the Sver Donetsk uh, area. Uh, how do you understand the current state of the of the kinetic military battle?
1: Well both, both sides are bogged down in war. Uh, uh, American uh, r- Russians are uh, uh, absolutely you know overwhelming us in terms of artillery uh in term in terms of uh, uh, multi launch rocket systems uh but we overwhelm overwhelm them uh, in the readiness to fight and readiness to die uh, for our country uh, our soldiers uh, show absolute uh, courage and uh, uh, heroism plus uh, one thing that is uh, changing in uh, our uh, favor is uh, we are getting Finally, uh, starting uh, to get uh, weapons uh, under land lease and under other from other from European countries, uh, which unfortunately, uh, as many complain, is going is taking too long, and people are dying every day. Uh, as you heard President Zelensky say, at bad days we can lose uh, 100 soldiers a day and uh, 500 uh, wounded. Um, So, of course, we are extremely, extremely uh, on the edge of our emotions uh, waiting for, you know, this howitzers and uh, MLRS systems uh, finally arriving and finally making a difference in this war. But uh, again, uh, at each point of this war, Ukraine performed better and Russia performed worse than expected. Uh, Therefore, I think in general, the curve of this war is going in favor of Ukraine, although, uh, quite, uh, quite frankly, uh, in, in, in future, the, the, the more this war goes, uh, the more reliant we get on the Western uh, supply, on ammo, uh, on ammunition, and on, um, on on heavier weapons. We need them.
0: So I want to talk about the information component of this war, because it seems to me that one area in which the... Um, the war has already been decisively won, is the information space. And, you know, we in the United States have a way of thinking of the Russians as 10 feet tall in information warfare, partly because of the 2016 uh, election interference, uh, but partly also because there's just a, a kind of mythology associated with, you know, Russian relations. But from the day of the beginning of the full-scale invasion, the Ukrainian information operations have just been spectacular. And that's from the presidential level, but it's also at the level of just hundreds of individual you know, bloggers, people on Twitter, people making videos, it's high school students doing their prom, dressing up in prom dresses, Amid ruins and cities, right? It's 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 incredibly distributed uh, information effort, and I'm interested in your thoughts on it as a diplomat. How did it how did it come about? How much of it is how much of it is coordinated, and how much of it is people just doing their thing?
1: I think it's people doing this their thing because. Uh... It, it wasn't information war uh, from the in, at, at least in the first couple of months. It wasn't some information effort on the part of Ukraine. It was our hearts bleeding. You know, it was our, you know, I, I, in the first uh, two weeks of, of the war, uh, I, I slept three hours a day and I did nothing but tweeting. Uh, I just it it was like um, it was, I, 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 that was the only way for me to feel not completely useless you know uh, in this kind of situation Uh, I tried a couple of times to join in with with, with, uh, the territorial defense but uh, uh, I don't have combat experience and uh, I'm not at my best else Uh, so maybe that's why so they said (laughs) maybe next time Uh, so in order not to feel uh, absolutely useless I was sitting there and tweeting and so did many people um just, just finding the best way to uh, bring to the world, uh, to, to, to show to the world this um, horrendous uh, you know, war that was happening, horrendous 20th century war that was happening in the, in the middle of 21st century. Um, I think that was it. Uh, at least this is from my experience. Right now, of course, uh, the further into this war we, we get, uh, the more people probably get uh, in the West first of all less responsive to all these hashtags and all these videos that we are sharing uh, but uh, I, I was speaking to to, to to a friend of mine who is on CNN and he said you know what people uh, might be not always as responsive as in the beginning and they said well but first of all I think that the fact that people don't retweet these hashtags as eagerly as in the beginning, it's probably because they made up their mind and they understand uh, where is evil and where is the good in this war. So I hope that that would explain this. Um, so information war. Thank you for saying that uh, it's won by Ukraine. Uh, I have uh, friends uh, who are much skeptical to that end, and they're saying uh, in the beginning maybe, but now Russians are too sophisticated and we are too emotional and too straightforward. Um so we'll prob- probably will have uh, to really more get more organized in the information field
0: It's interesting because I think you know there can identify a few discrete areas in which the Russians have made progress in the information space. one of them is convincing uh, a fair number of people in the developing world that there is a grain shortage because of sanctions on Russia um, uh, and uh, you know I, I on, but I really don't think that any of the major Russian themes um, that they have, you know, that Ukraine doesn't really exist as a country, that this is a creature of NATO expansion, that, I mean, these have caught on in very limited ways, but I, I think at least in the United States, the degree of, of, there doesn't seem to be a lot of appetite for the, the, the line that the Kremlin is interested in pushing
1: uh, well, Putin helped a lot quite frankly with this uh, speech of his on uh, february twenty first when uh, he mentioned NATO only in the second part of the speech and made very clear uh, his motivation for this war. and the motivation is very simple it's a it's a very imperialist war. it's uh, a former colony being uh, uh, brought back uh, by this imperial power who thinks of Ukrainians as unworthy of their own state and made up nation and so on and so on. And it was very clear, uh, made by by, by Putin, uh, a point made very clearly by Putin uh, on February 21st and this absolutely insulting, arrogant, imperialist speech that he made. Um, Other than that, um, of course, uh, India, China, uh, many African countries, for many people, it's just uh, the, a war between, uh, you know, uh, for one white people and other white people. Uh, one funny, uh, uh, one strange uh, uh, Slavs with other strange Slavs, uh, and who knows who is uh, <laughs> uh, at fault there? But definitely, it's somehow America's fault. But I think definitely uh, this NATO of, of you know justification uh, of uh, of this war. I, I hope, I hope, it was one of the main problems for me as ambassador in Austria. Everybody was saying NATO went too far, NATO went too far, Putin got provoked. Uh, right now, I don't hear much about it. That's interesting. So, of course,
0: for those who don't know, uh, Austria is not a NATO member. It's, uh, I, I believe, by treaty neutral uh, from the time of the end of World War II. Um, but you've detected a change in uh in the attitude of people blaming NATO, including in Austria itself. I mean, it's very visible in Sweden and Finland, but uh, but you've seen it in in Vienna as well.
1: Yes, yes, I I see it. Of course, uh, there are still people who are absolutely unshakable in in that belief, uh, but uh, it's changing very dramatically and. Uh, You saw even, uh, you know, the most uh, pro-Putin guy in the United States Congress, uh, Senator Paul, uh, somehow referring to it uh, in his, uh, you know, uh, speeches in uh, in parliamentary hearings or whatever, Uh, but even he doesn't sound convinced. So that's my feeling. And just, you know, the, the line between good and evil was never in my lifetime as clear as in this war, uh, just one nation wanted, wanting t- just to live, to, like, to, to to be itself, and the other nation is just t- trying to t- take away uh, its freedom. So I'm going to go to audience questions in a moment. So
0: uh, members of the audience, if you want to, if you have a question, uh, please uh, uh, request to speak and I will come to you. Please keep yourself muted until I do. Please formulate your questions in the form of a question. My interest in speeches is limited. And if you uh, uh, troll our guests or me for that matter, I will expel you from the space with a shocking lack of due process. So uh, while audience members are uh, uh, pinging me, um, one additional question, I'm interested in your sense. I've heard a lot of anger um, among Ukrainians at uh, German Chancellor Schulz. Um, uh, I'm curious, uh, you know, from in the early phase of the uh, uh, full scale invasion, you know, he seemed like he had really turned a, a ship. Uh, but now he and Macron are both uh, really speaking in a uh With a little bit of dissonance for the way the west of, the rest of uh, of a lot of West Europe and the United States is talking, and i'm curious how you assess the European landscape with respect to the conflict right now
1: Well, it hurts me to see how Germany is losing its credibility not only in Ukraine but in many European countries and so on because of this you know uncertain you know and contradictive uh, messages it's sending i I see the, um, the the list of the countries that are supporting Ukraine in financially or militarily, and I think Germany is uh, ranking number three uh, of, uh, in that list, so rather high. But the feeling, the impression here in Ukraine is that uh, we have been abandoned somehow. and that's because uh, because Germany uh, promises uh, to deliver, um, you know some heavy weapons. And then doesn't live up to those promises. And that's the worst thing. Just better don't promise at all than promise and not deliver in this kind of situation when people are so emotional, not only in Ukraine. Um, therefore, I hope, uh, I think I explained this by, you know, uh, the West is finding its courage in the uh, last couple of months. Uh, you cannot get courageous uh, overnight, you know, and I'm so. Even America didn't get courageous overnight. It waited a couple of weeks till till um, Secretary of Defense uh, said those words, Ukraine can win this war. With Germany, it might take a little bit longer because of its past, because of its uh, tradition of pacifism, because uh, of, um, you know... The big Russian-speaking minority there people from uh, Kazakhstan, Germans Germans from Kazakhstan, for instance, hundreds of thousands there who are in majority, unfortunately, uh, spreading and supporting Putin's line. So Germany has a special situation. Germany uh, is difficult, but I'm not giving up on Germany, quite frankly. And I do hope that when uh, Chancellor Scholz and uh, President Macron and uh, Prime Minister Draghi uh, uh, will visit Kyiv, I think it's uh, on June 17th, uh, they will bring the right messages. Okay, we're going to go
0: to the audience. If I have called you on the screen, please keep yourself muted uh, until I come to you. Uh, the more people who unmute themselves, more background noise we get. Eve Gaumont, the floor is yours.
2: We often hear that after the war, Ukrainians plan on rebuilding the country um, following European values. As a former ambassador to Austria, what does it mean to you?
1: Thank you. Uh, it's a very, very good question, and I made it. Uh, I, 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 I wrote about it uh, in my book uh, rather openly that we Ukrainians are in love with Europe uh, that doesn't exist anymore. That existed in the end of '90s and begin in the beginning of uh, uh, '2000s. Um, we think we we don't understand. Uh, how much europe has lost um, this you know drive uh, to expand uh, and face uh, into itself um, but i hope that we somehow woke uh, europe up and uh, i i'm rather proud of it of course as ukrainian uh, what ukrainians want of course and that's quite understandably ukrainians want the life that europeans have ukrainians are on the of understanding that there are certain steps you have to make to get this life you have to walk the walk in in order to to get there uh, and uh, it's it's about many things it's about tolerance it's about you know acceptance it's about uh, uh, democracy of course it's about fighting corruption and quite frankly i think i cannot imagine uh, that this war once it would be over uh, would leave this country unchanged. I even, uh, you know, just as recently I said, uh, I, I, I saw the um, uh, the surveys uh, conducted about, you know, uh, tolerance for minorities uh, in various, you know, walks of life in Ukrainian society. And I was surprised that uh, in Ukrainian military, in Ukrainian army, people were more tolerant uh, than uh, an average uh, person in Ukraine. So. I, I, I understand and it, it says and speaks uh, volumes about what, what values we fight for. In the end of the day, we do fight for European values, although I did admit we are, we are rather vague about what that represents. But also Europe is sometimes vague about its own values and Europe should um, get a little bit you know more clear. Uh, what it stands for and aside from you know uh, earning money uh, from uh, trade with Putin uh, I don't want to be too critical and I know that there are many many values Um, just just Europe has to uh, make it more clear for itself and for Ukraine I think.
0: Emilio the floor is yours I won't even try to pronounce your last name.
2: (laughs) Uh, Thanks for the digital floor and thanks for your time. Um, Going back to Germany, I would have a question about uh, what you think or what is thought of the current ambassador of Germany, uh, of Ukraine to Germany, uh, Andrei Melnik. So he's uh, become quite a controversial figure in Germany because he's uh, very sharp witted and he is sometimes controversial in how he attacks different politicians. Not to say that anything he says per se is wrong. It's just that uh, his communication, his way of communicating is perceived harshly by... uh, some of the, let's say, even the government politicians, the the ruling parties. Is that something that is also happening, uh, according to your, I I guess, larger network as an ambassador, that is also happening in other European countries? Or is this a rather Germany-specific problem, uh, finding it hard to deal with this way of communication?
1: uh, Each country is different, and ambassador in each country is different, and uh, with his own style. I uh, was lucky to be an ambassador uh, in peaceful time. I don't know what kind of ambassador and what kind of messages I would be sending in a time like now. So I don't want to criticize uh, my former colleague and uh, my friend. I, I know that he is; his heart is bleeding. And uh, if uh, some people think that he oversteps some boundaries and goes too far, please, uh, please. Uh, be understandable for the situation that all Ukrainians, including Andriy Melnik, uh, find themselves right now.
0: Velina, the floor is yours.
2: Thank you very much, uh, Ambassador Sherba. I'm sending warm greets, of course, from Vienna. And if you may recall uh, the last time when we met at one of uh, the public uh, events uh, on Ukraine at the Diplomatic Academy, I told you that Uh, Ukraine needs the membership perspective. So, what is your anticipation for um, receiving the membership perspective um, in the upcoming um, Council meeting? And uh, what, in your view, will be the implications if a membership perspective, European Union membership perspective, is not given to Ukraine? Thank you very much. And as I said, stay safe and sound and... All the best to you and your family of course
1: Thank you velina of course I understand. I remember you you were one of the first uh, uh, Viennese who followed me on Twitter and I followed you back and I remember our conversations uh, well I always said uh, before the war and uh, as ambassador I, I kept saying that uh, all Ukraine needs all Ukraine needs is uh um, just simple statement from the European Union once you'll be ready, you'll be in you make your make sure that you're ready, we'll decide when you will be in and I think if this statement came from the European Union years ago I think it would be a kind of a little bit different reality uh, right now uh, if with this kind of emotions that uh, are running so high in, in Ukraine if Ukraine isn't giving at this point um the uh candidate status. It would hurt. I wouldn't uh, hide from you. it would hurt. the expectation is there. We think that by defending Europe, we deserved this perspective, but also we understand that it doesn't mean in a instant you know a, a, a rapprochement between Ukraine and European Union. It doesn't mean instant you know entering. Uh, european union it means only that europe says to ukraine you are one of us we embrace you we appreciate you we see your sacrifice that you're doing um and i think this is the least we can hope for at least in my understanding
0: and just to follow up on that does to what extent does the same logic to nato
1: well with nato is nato is different uh, nato we uh i always say that uh uh, EU membership uh, is all about getting ready uh, and, uh, you know, having political decision. Uh, the NATO is about getting ready and the political courage. And there is political courage on our side in Ukraine and polit- and readiness, militarily readiness. I think too. At least we are on the way. But I don't see this courage on the NATO side. Um, and therefore, I, I was very skeptical about NATO membership. Um, uh, uh, I still am not because I think it would be wrong for Ukraine, or, or because I think Ukraine doesn't deserve it, but because I just see that this process of become of finding courage in the West is still ongoing. Uh, the EU, the NATO, the, the EU, European countries, um, are still, you know, in the process of finding courage. Um, uh, plus, of course, uh, it's um, consensus. Organiza- it's two consensus organizations, uh, especially in the NATO, it would take one country uh, that would derail the whole sp- the whole process. I think uh, I- amid war, uh, it would be especially uh, likely in the NATO.
0: Yuval haimo uh, the floor is yours. Okay, um, uh, uh, you got to unmute yourself, sir. All right, that doesn't seem to be working. Uh, uh, Niranjan, the floor is yours.
2: Hi, thank you. Um, so, I was just curious, your thoughts on whether the uh, whether you think the current conflict has kind of exposed like a deepening rift uh, within NATO? Say, like. Uh, Britain, US, uh, Poland, and the Baltic states in one camp, and say in the other camp, Germany, France, and Italy, for example. Um, and I was just curious uh, what you thought that means for uh, the future of the alliance and whether you think there might be um, like a deepening split or even like a formal split with the NATO in the future.
1: Well, it's rather obvious that the rift is there. Uh, there is between the, between the countries. Who, are, uh, who might be next, like the Baltic countries, like uh, Poland, uh, and the countries uh, like uh, the UK, who uh, simply mm, are uh, tough on Russia and uh, for good reasons, and the countries who used to work, uh, to go their own way uh, on Russia, and uh, unfortunately, this uh, tight and uh, t- change of times that was promised by uh, German Chancellor Scholz uh, hasn't quite come yet. Uh, so yeah, the risk is there, and uh, what it would mean for the for organization, for, for in, in, in general, um, I think the war uh, must make very obvious that uh, unfortunately uh, we are in a reality where the wars of 20th century can happen in the 21st century, and uh, they can also, in the worst case scenario, mean the end of the world. So. Uh, either uh, NATO finds finds ways to somehow man up and, uh, you know, overcome this uh, rift or uh, they will be dealing uh, with the problem of Russia uh, on their own, which would be much more difficult.
0: Bashir, the floor is yours. You have to unmute yourself. All right, this is a, interesting form of trolling, uh, to request to ask a question and then just not do it. Uh, (laughs) No, no, I think it's happened in a number of episodes that uh, people show up, they request to ask questions, and then they're just silent. And I think it's a, I can't decide if it's an organized effort um, uh, or if it's uh, uh, just random people being jerks. Uh, However, one person who has never done this is Antti Ruukonen, who is joining us from Finland, and Antti, the floor is yours.
2: Thank you, Ben. Uh, so, my question: uh, How do you think uh, Finland and Sweden joining NATO will
1: uh, aid Ukraine in its current uh, struggle? Thank you. Well, I think the answer is rather obvious. Uh, I think it will uh, make NATO stronger. I uh, always remember this, you know, survey from, I think, 2012 or uh, 2016, uh, when nations were asked a simple question, uh, are you ready to fight uh, for uh, your country or not? And uh, the highest number of people uh, being ready to fight came from Finland. Uh, I, I think it was 67 percent. Ukraine was second to 62. And uh, uh, countries, uh, I think Italy was 16, uh, Austria was 19 um uh, germany also was in, was around 20 so i think uh, uh countries like finland uh, and sweden joining in would make nato stronger first and second of all it would uh, it would uh, mean that uh, putin uh, missed uh, his objective uh, of you know Uh, stopping uh, whether it was his real objective or not, but uh, at least this is what he was declaring, stopping um, NATO expansion, that he missed that objective too. Uh, It would be uh, another uh, geopolitical defeat for him. So um, I think um, altogether, uh, and for for Ukraine, uh, uh, I I cannot explain why, but emotionally uh, it would be a very good signal. It would be... It would be like the family we want to join uh, all of a sudden became uh, bigger and more courageous.
0: On that point, I, I, you know, uh, one notable thing about Finland in particular is that it has a very long border with the Russian Federation, and so the the notion uh, that uh, you know that that to go back to the NATO point that we were discussing earlier. Um, you know, one of the proximate results of, of this conflict is that NATO is seems to be acquiring the land, land border with Russia. I, I'm curious. I, I mean, that seems to me to be in the midst of an awful situation. Kind of a delicious irony that that can't be lost on me. The- Sorry, have we lost?
1: Yeah, Benjamin. I I stopped now. Now I hear you. I lost you for a moment.
0: Yeah, I mean, it just seems to me to be an irony that Putin can't have missed that he he did this in the in the name of uh, a fight against the West. And what he's got now is NATO on his border across the entire Arctic. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Absolutely. It just uh, you know uh, today's Russia. Unfortunately, it pains me to say that because uh, I, I was never Russia's enemy. I always had. Uh, last time I visited Russia is what, it was 1993, maybe. That's why, I, uh, I, I, I till the end, I had these illusions about the Russian people and the Russian nation. But unfortunately, right now, it looks like uh, it's um, re- reincarnation of Nazi Germany and Putin is the reincarnation of Adolf Hitler. Uh, and uh, every time Adolf Hitler uh, misses uh, uh, his aim—it uh, just—it undermines uh, his authority in the eyes of uh, his uh, followers. Uh, so uh, it should be good, I think.
0: And are you—are you native Russian-speaking or native Ukrainian-speaking?
1: I'm both. I'm bilingual, uh, extremely bilingual. I mean, you know, uh, in my youth, I once uh, read uh, an article uh, in Christian Science Monitor uh, titled "Key of Conversation." Uh, and that was about uh, a very unique ukrainian uh, uh, thing when uh, two people uh, in one conversation speak two different languages and don't realize that not because the languages are too so similar but because the this bilingualism is, is in the blood of many people i'm one of people so uh, i speak uh, Ukrainian to uh, my parents. Uh, I speak Ukrainian and Russian to my kids, and German and English. Unfortunately, because we, because uh, <laughs> my 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 son is English speaking, my daughter is German speaking, and I speak Russian to my wife. So it's 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 a very confusing situation.
0: Speaking of German, we have a question from Freiheit und Frieden. Uh, the floor is yours, sir. Oh, we've lost him. Uh,
1: uh... That, that's Rudy Fusi. That's a friend of mine. If uh, if uh, we can uh, get him somehow back, it would. Yeah, be very, very I'm, wor- nice. I'm
0: working on it. He, uh, <laughs> I, I, uh, I brought him in, and then he vanished just as I was going over to him. Uh, sir, uh, you're welcome to try again. In the meantime, Ev has a second question.
2: Yeah, um, you touched on that briefly earlier, but um, could you expand on the, on how the information war unrolls differently uh, in languages other than English?
1: Uh, excuse me, can you say it again, please?
2: Um, do you see a difference between uh, how the war unrolls in uh, languages other than English? The, 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 information, the, the information, war.
0: information conflict.
1: The information conflict. Well, uh, it's uh, uh, mostly it's in English, of course. In German, uh, whenever I uh, read uh, some... Uh, uh, article of, by some German or Austrian uh, magazine or newspaper in Ukraine uh, no matter how tragic it is uh, there is instantly a group of 20-30 uh, people who uh, put uh, laughing smiles, you know, uh, laughing emojis and I ask myself who are these people? It's not what, what, what I experience in the United States at least much much less of it um I don't know quite frankly my twitter account is mostly about you know english language a little bit less about german um i know that uh, there is an effort and there is a grassroots effort in ukraine to uh get more structured and fight uh, start fighting um information war on ukraine on on russian uh, information turf uh, but uh, um, it's, just, it's, uh, it's just as an idea, first of all. It's just Russian information, you know, social media are mostly uh, Putin's domain, unfortunately.
0: Yeah, I mean, it, it seems like Ukrainians, given how prevalent Russian language is among Ukrainians, would have a, the ability to do that. Um, but a lot of the platforms seem really quite well controlled by Russia. Um, do you have a sense of of what it would take to make inroads in those spaces?
1: Well, I don't think the problem is Russians misunderstanding something, or even Russians being isolated from information. It's Russians wanting to be uh, wanting to misunderstand. They they misunderstand what's happening in Ukraine the same way as. Many Germans misunderstood what was happening to their Jewish neighbors who who were disappearing during World War II. Just there is a certain amount of truth that uh, human psyche can, um, you know, process. And uh, once you realize that Putin is this new Adolf Hitler, once you realize that Ukrainians are not uh, what uh, they have been pictured since uh, two decades on Russian TV, the whole picture crumbles and people russians simply are afraid of that they are just you know in deep sleep and hearing what's happening around them but they don't want to wake up in a reality where uh they saw so our troops as they say our soldiers are murderers and uh, rapists and looters so i i don't know when it's gonna end my answer is first of all um when Russian, when, when Russian mothers will receive these uh, death certificates for their sons, uh, wounded Russians will uh, come back uh, uh, into the society. It will, it, will, it will take some time, but uh, their eyes will uh, open. To what point, I don't know.
0: So I want to ask you a, one final, very impolitic question to ask a, a, a Ukrainian diplomat, and I Apologize in advance for it and pin it on the fact that you're a former diplomat. Um, I uh, am interested in the attitude of Ukrainian political elites in contemporary American politics. If I were a Ukrainian uh, uh, in government, I would be eyeing the American domestic political scene with a lot of anxiety with our own. You know, far right movement here. It could return to power at some point. Um, and the leader of that movement is overtly friendly to Vladimir Putin. Um, how, how, you know, the Ukrainian government has been extremely careful, even during the impeachment and the early days of the Zelensky administration, not to make comments about US domestic politics because they can only hurt. But but what is the internal discussion like of this subject? How fearful are uh, Ukrainian diplomats and policymakers about how quickly the United States could shift gears under the wrong political circumstances?
1: Well, uh, I have a reputation of being undiplomatic. That's why I wrote a book called Undiplomatic Thoughts. Uh, So I will be blunt with you. There is a sense of uh, uncertainty uh, what would happen if uh, President Trump would be uh, in office again. Uh, Someone who admired Putin as a strategic genius, someone who uh, said so many pleasant words about, you know, uh, Crimea annexation. So the very notion that I heard from time to time in Washington that if Trump was there uh, this whole war, uh, wouldn't happen uh, is i think uh, is uh, not true uh, also because uh, putin would have done this no matter who would be in the oval office because he was getting ready for this for uh, two decades i'm deeply convinced in that and it's not a um, coincidence that it, this war happened uh, in the year of 100 years of uh, uh, soviet union foundation and 70 years of putin of, of putin um so um if, Trump is a factor of, uh, of of uncertainty. Also, quite frankly, I I'm extremely offended and puzzled uh, when uh, I uh, listen to Dr. Carlson, for instance. Uh, I, I, he always uh, always looks very puzzled when he asks uh, his counterparts questions or co- makes comments. Especially puzzled he looks and sounds uh, when he says, "Why should we support Ukraine?" I think. I think there must be something really, really, really wrong with, with his soul if he, if he asked that question in this kind of situation. We are going to leave it there, Alexander Sherba. Uh,
0: thank you so much for joining us today.
1: Thank you for having me.
0: As always, uh, uh, please uh, uh, join me in thanking our guest, and um, and let's. Um, uh, we will be back uh, as always. I will. Pin my uh, when when I schedule the next uh, uh, episode, I will pin it to the top of my Twitter feed. So keep an eye on that. And please, uh, to everybody who has participated, subscribe to the uh, the uh, podcast feed of Live from Ukraine uh, and uh, tweet the episode uh, when it comes out. That way, you will not miss future episodes, even if you cannot be here. Uh, live. With that, we will be back next time. Live from Ukraine is a production of Lawfare and Goat Rodeo. Uh, You know, the engineering, I'm doing it myself because it's Twitter Spaces, but it is produced and edited by folks at Goat Rodeo. Thanks for listening.